Hey everyone, welcome to Spotco Presents. Here at Spot, we're currently celebrating our 20th anniversary season, and in honor of this milestone, we thought it would be fun to revisit some of the shows and stories that have made up our 20-year history. So today, we're going to be opening up the Spot Co. vault, so to speak. We hope you enjoy this trip down memory lane. Bon voyage! Welcome, everybody. My name is Kristen Rathbun. I'm the VP of Partnerships here at Spotco, and we are really excited to host this episode of the Spotco Presents podcast called Out of the Spotco Hat. Um, I have the exciting opportunity to sit here with this beautiful mustard-colored Spotco hat that has a dog on it um, and has a bunch of little pieces of paper with show names on it. I'm sitting here with two of Spotco's founders, Tom Greenwald and Jim Edwards. They'll tell them tell a little bit about themselves in a second here. Um, but the name of the game is asking them to take a trip down memory lane uh, as sparked by show titles. So let's start with a little intro and then we'll jump in. So Tom, do you want to kind of... Uh, sure. Uh... I have been at Spaco basically since the beginning, 20, 20 years, 20 odd years. Um, I started my theater life <clears throat> as, a, as a writer. I wrote a musical called John and Jen, an off-Broadway musical in 1995 with Andrew Lippa. Um, and then I got into theater advertising uh, when I met Drew Hodges and Jim Edwards. In 19, I worked with Jim a little bit at uh, another agency. And then in 19, late 1997, I met them and started working at, uh, at Spotco. I've been here okay. ever since. And Jim? And I'm Jim Edwards. Uh, I've been at Spotco since the very beginning in 1997. Before that, I worked at, uh, I started my career at Gray Advertising, working on Warner Brothers Films and ABC Television. Tom and I did not work together at Gray. He, I left just before he came. I went to Serena Coin, I worked there for five years, went back to Gray for nine months, and then came to Spotco. And I was here for 16 years. I took a three-year hiatus in Texas and Idaho, and now I'm back. Cool. So let's jump in. So first show out of the Spotco hat. Do we pick or oh, do you pick? No, I pick. That's oh. why I'm in this room. Got it. Got it. <laughs> That's my okay. only point okay. right now. Um, all right. Elaine Stritch at Liberty. Tom, oh. favorite memory. Yes, Go. I have a good story for that one. Um, Elaine was doing a off-Broadway version of the show down at the Public Theater, but we were starting to uh, create marketing materials for the Broadway production, and one of those pieces of, of advertising was going to be a radio spot. So I wrote a script, and um, the producer, Scott Sanders, asked me to go take it down to her dressing room before her show one night. I went down there. She kept me waiting for a long time. Um, I was just sitting there chilling while people were going back and forth. Finally, she emerged, I think, in a bra and <laughs> black tights, if I'm not mistaken, and she was hilarious, and she, was, she you know, growled, well, who are you? What do you want? What do you got for me? And I stammered a bit and said, we have a radio spot. Um, it's a script that you would, you would read. So, of course, I wanted to make sure you saw it and were okay with it. And if you have any you know, ch changes, if you want to put something in your own words, please feel free to do so. And she grabbed the script out of my hand. She read it in about 10 seconds. And she said, I just have one change. And she took a, my black magic marker and put an X through the entire script. <laughs> and then re-scrawled her version of the script along the margins which was way better than my version, I might add. And she said, let's record this. And she thrust it back in my hand. And a couple days later, that's what we did. And I kept that script to this day with the giant X through it. And I have it framed in my office. Ah, 
right. The only thing she kept in your script was, hi, I'm a <laughs> Yes, I think she did. She, she, she loved that part. She, she thought that was really well done. <laughs> really exciting for you to uh, yeah. be acknowledged was, in that, that way. It was actually the best best rejection ever. It was, <laughs> it was pure show business. Frameable. It was, it was frameable. Absolutely frameable. Um, all right, Jim, I'm going to throw this one to you. The next pick is The Drowsy Chaperone. Uh, what I remember on that show is uh, we were asked by Kevin McCollum to uh, create artwork because it was going to be in L.A. as an out-of-town tryout. And we hadn't seen it. He gave us the script. And I don't recall if there was any recording of the music. Anyway, we got the script. We created some artwork. And it was all of the period and very dated. And then we saw the show in L.A., and we told Kevin, you've got to throw all this out. This does not make any sense. The show is much more contemporary, much more humorous than we have had anticipated or designed for. And we were then Kevin had a group of producers when it was moving to Broadway, and they were really pushing towards um, celebrating a wedding and an image of a bride. And uh, we were really pushing hard, saying, let's not show anything. What, what we, this should all be copy-based, and it should all be very humorous. And I remember we presented the announcement ad for the New York Times, and, it, and I can't remember it exactly, but it went something like, there are times when you can just tell by the title, the, the show is going to be a hit, dot, 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 space. This is not one of those times, the drowsy <laughs> chaperone. And I remember Jackie Green in the meeting said, and there was a lot of discussion about it, and Jackie Green was the press agent of Bono Brian Brown, and she said, that's really funny. And that kind of swayed the room in, in favor of a copy-driven campaign, and then we were off to the races. I think I still drink out of the mug here at the office that says, I bet you think I'm drinking coffee, or something <laughs> yeah. like that. Yeah, we got that one. I love that It was one. a tricky title, so we decided to, to make the trickiness of the title part of the joke. Own it, rather than be scared of exactly it. Exactly right. All right, next one. Let's see. Okay, here's a fun one. Vanya and Sonia and Masha and Spike. Let's go with... Let's talk about the Tony campaign and the fact that that was, you know, something that we kind of pushed for and also a hard title to talk about, but really played into the fact that, you know, it was a great well, show. And um, a I, don't remember, I don't remember the Tony <laughs> campaign specifically, but I remember... Making the first commercial for that show, and like Drowsy Chaperone, it was a title that was just so hard to sell. So uh, we decided to make the title of the show and people's inability to pronounce the title of the show (laughs) the whole thrust of the TV commercial. And we got David Hyde Pierce and Sigourney Weaver and Christine Nielsen. Mm -hmm. Um, That was amazing that I was able to... (laughs) <laughs> say that with with my ancient memory. But we just put them in director's chair and got them riffing about the title and mangling the title and saying, come see our show and messing everything up. And then finally, David Hyde Pierce blurted out at the end, the Lion King. And it just was <laughs> out of the blue, but it was really funny. And it's another example of, of you know, one of our main tenets in advertising, which is if the show is, is funny then your advertising has to be funny too. You can't you can't just say what the show is about or you, you you know people care less about the specifics of plot sometimes than just knowing it's going to be funny and if you can make them laugh in your marketing they feel confident and comfortable that you're going to make them laugh at the show itself. Um, 
This is legit my favorite musical of all time. And I think my hand appeared in this poster <laughs> from a so. stock image. Um, and your face appeared in the commercial. And my face, yeah. yeah. I, I'm, it's looking hair. Over your, I'm looking over it's your shoulder. Hair. Tell me favorite memory, thought, kind of journey on hair. I don't really, it was, I love the show. I remember. Uh, the commercial shoot was great. Yeah, yeah. you can speak on to a, that. On a rooftop. Right, let's say Yes, ripped off the Beatles and ripped off U2 and had the cast go up to the top of... Uh, I don't think it was the St. James because we couldn't actually get on that roof, but we found a, a building oh, nearby. Right? I don't even know if it was a theater, but it was, a, it was a, a rooftop in Times Square that we were able to get permitted. And, um, and we kind of staged a, a peace rally in Times Square, and it was, it was kind of... It was paid off by the entire cast singing Let the Sunshine In on the roof of the theater. It was a pretty chilly day. Right. I can't I remember. remember I don't know if it was actually winter, but it was cold. And, you know, poor Will Swenson was wearing a vest and no shirt, <laughs> right. and he was freezing his ass off. But it, it captured the spirit of that show, which is it's one of my favorite shows of all time, and I just was thrilled to work on it because the production did it justice, and it was great to have it back on Broadway again. All right, let's take, uh, let's see here. How about Billy Elliot? I love the movie. I had seen it in London. And then we were, uh, we had a meeting with the working title, and we were awarded the show. And uh, we were going to, we're talking about um, elevating the, the artwork and the logo. And we did some focus groups and some testing, but then we ended up just using what was done in London. And then I, I just, no, I don't really remember. I, oh, I, I, here's the only thing I can tell you is that we, uh, we, we got them to go on sale very, very early. And we had a TV spot. And what we did was we bought CBS Sunday Morning and 60 Minutes every Sunday for like 10 weeks straight. And it was, every time those spots ran, we sold tickets. And the wrap would go up on Sunday and it would stay up on Monday and then would go down. And then once we got to the weekend again, the pattern repeated. The pattern repeated itself, and that was the first time we had the luxury of doing that over a long period of time. And see this Sunday morning in sixty minutes is just a gold mine. Jim loves us. <coughs> Jim loves us. CBS. We we, we all <laughs> know that. CBS News. Yeah, CBS News. And Eric Fellner and the guys at, and and the, the whole team at Working Title were great. It was an interesting project because they'd produced the movie and they were incredibly proud of both the movie and the musical and shepherded it along to the West End and then to Broadway so so beautifully and carefully. And they won the Tony, of course. And um, it was one memorable moment was when Eric Fellner gave a shout-out to Spock Cohen in his acceptance speech at the Tonys. I'm not sure if that had ever happened before. And I remember we all got a big kick out of it. Right. I've never felt so untalented as being at events with those little boys who could <laughs> yes. l- quite literally spin circles around me. Yeah, that's me. true. And, the, and I think the, the kickoff uh, event for Billy Elliot was at a, a children's dance studio. It was a group sales. Yeah. Yeah. It was yeah. a group sales. Yeah. And that was a, kind of a stroke of genius, too, because it was the, the environment of Billy Elliot and kind of kicked everything off really nicely. Yeah, I remember the speech they gave about the camp for the Billies that these kids go through yeah. mm-hmm. and the directors he, he, he in front of that group sales audience he said it's like running a marathon while reciting Shakespeare <laughs> and, and, doing the show you mean? yeah doing the show and yeah. these kids you know 
the rest a lot, and they always deliver. Yeah, the rest. A, and a some, lot of his and stuff. and it's nice to see some of them still popping up in shows here and there. And some of them have gone on to become choreographers. Some are still acting. One is Spider Man. One is Spider Man. He was a London Billy, but yes, not exactly a New York right. Billy, but in the Billy family. Um, also, fun fact I'm thinking is that Hair and Billy were the same year, and I feel like that was just such a fun like. Really? What was that? Tony year. I remember being yeah. I remember being at Tavern on the Green for Hair's yeah. Tony party, and then all of a sudden like Elton John and the Billys showed up, and it was just like <laughs> yeah. the, the weirdest crosshatch of hippies meets yeah. ballet children meets Elton John, and you know the ultimate celebration. I do remember. On I do remember interviewing Elton John for a some sort of some sort of video and being slightly petrified. I heard he could be occasionally temperamental, but he was incredibly sweet and, and generous that day, at least. All right. Next draw. Avenue Oldie Q. but a goodie and still running off-Broadway. Avenue Q. Avenue Q. Jim, you want to jump in? Well, I, I remember it was the same year as Wicked, and Avenue Q opened first in the summer. And uh, the, the big... Point or the, the challenge was that you know how we demonstrate that Avenue Q is worthy um, against a show like which is a blockbuster like Wicked, and I had this idea, and it's rare that an account person has an idea like this for a creative idea and execution. But we ran these ads in the Times, two on sevens. Every time a new musical opened that season, Avenue Q uh, welcomed them with an opening day ad, and it was the puppets saluting. Whatever. So Taboo was that season. Um, Carolina Change was that season. Never Gonna Dance was that season. Wicked. And these ads became a, a position. Avenue Q is kind of like the host or MC of Broadway. And it got those ads got popular that the new plays, some of the producers were hoping that they would get an Avenue Q ad in the Times. And it was just a great way to put Avenue Q elevated to a level that, um, on Wicked level as far as stature and worthiness. That amongst all the other things we did that I think, I, I think seemed to work. Yeah, and the other thing, kind of retrospectively about Avenue Q that is less anecdotal than it is about the process of, of Broadway marketing is before that, the Tony Award campaign idea was much more um, formal and gentlemanly and unspoken. You Swag would be sent out. But a show never really actively campaigned publicly for the Tonys the way that movies always had those for your consideration ads for the Oscars. But it was uh, it was an election season. It was, right? 2004. it was 2004 and we said let's just let's just be bold and, and go to the other extreme and make the entire campaign about the campaign for the Tonys. So we turned it into a huge political red, white and blue vote we for pins, us campaign. Vote and, and we also we were going to send out pizza in, in um, yeah. custom-made pizza boxes to all the Tony voters. And we actually had greenlit the order, and then we had to cancel it. Yeah. We got a little uh, nervous about that. Yeah. But it's also, that show also had four different campaigns prior to the Tony Awards. Mm -hmm. We had puppets, then we had the Richard Avedon photo, then mm -hmm. we did Just Quotes, mm -hmm. and then we did the presidential you know, election theme. Right. And that's rare for it to do four different campaigns yeah. over... 12-month period. Yeah, we were looking for something that's, that would stick. Yeah, because there was a lot of puppet bias we learned. <laughs> we had no idea. I feel like it's the old-school social media. You use the two-on-sevens almost like other shows now use, like, Correct. 
a yeah. social post to ingratiate themselves or yeah. to, to, to stay, wish a to show stay happy in front opening. Of them and, to yeah. stay in front of the public constantly. It's the cheapest way we but can do that. those meetings, I remember, you know, it was produced by Jeffrey, uh, Jeffrey Seller and Kevin McCollum and, and Robin Goodman. And those meetings really were... You know, it was roll up your sleeves. Roll up your sleeves. No idea was a bad idea. Let's just, you know, the best ideas will rise to the top. Everyone was given an equal voice. It was just a really a good collaboration yeah. of, of positivity and trying to problem solve because there were a lot of challenges with Avenue Q. And they created an environment that, you know, let us be innovative and creative and funny. And, and it all seemed to work. Well, the first preview, Avenue Q had like an advance of half a million dollars, which is nothing, but it was in the golden. The goals weren't high. And then by the time the Tony Awards came, the advance was 1.5 million. They had already recouped. And then they won the Tony Award and went to like 3.5 million, you know, within a month. So it was just an amazing, you know, success story that we all felt we all contributed on. Yep. Awesome. Um, good segue from full puppet nudity to the vagina monologues. Oh, well, the vagina monologues. <laughs> you, you, you're picking all the challenging titles today. The vaginal monologues is funny for a couple of reasons. One is that um, we there was a huge copy opportunity there, of course, that we took advantage of. We had um, one of our favorite early lines was "Think inside the box," but we also, um, probably most famously, at least back in the day, was a line that we somehow got past the censors at the New York Times, um, and the line was critically acclaimed and. We submitted it, waiting for the phone to ring, and it never rang, and we, we no, what were was kind we, of shocked. We delivered it at the very last <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> we, that that's was the strict that's instructions true. from David Stone. Yeah. Don't send it, don't send it, don't send it. Okay, yeah. now. Yeah. And, of course, once it ran, that's when the phone rang. <laughs> that was the Times basically saying, don't you ever try to pull something like that again. But by then, we didn't care. We were having a final time. The Post had a great field day. Did they? Mocking the Times for accepting the ad. Oh, I forgot that, like a Michael Riedel column or something? Yeah, even page six. Oh, that's funny. Um, Another story from that was, you know, back then, it's it's almost quaint to think of it now, but people just were very reluctant to say the word vagina out loud, say the word vagina in public, and certainly put it on the title of a show and say it in advertising. So, again, we made it, we we took that, that challenge and turned it into a bit. And we had a radio commercial. With Julie Halston and Carolee Carmelo. Yeah, Carolee Carmelo played the caller. Julie Halston played the telecharge operator. And the whole premise was Carolee trying to buy tickets to the show without having to say the name. And she kept saying, the rhymes with Carolina. And the two of them had a field day. And it turned out to be a very effective commercial for us. Next pick out of the hat, the tale of the allergist's wife. Well, I remember... We had not worked with the Manhattan Theater Club, which they were producing the show. It was a stage two production off Broadway, Charles Bush play, Lynn Meadow directed, starring Linda Lavin and Michelle Lee and Tony Roberts. And we had a pitch for it. Um, and we went over to their conference room. It was, I think, the first time I was in their office suite. And Drew sat at the head of the table. Drew Hodge is the founder of, of Spotco. And I sat next to him, but across from Lynn Meadow. And we were doing our pitch. And he said, you can't sell comedy with photography. The best way to go would be through illustration. And for this show, and it's, you know, sophisticated wit and humor, a New Yorker cartoonist, and he suggested Ross Chast. 
And I just remember Lynn Meadow lighting up, the biggest smile on her face, nodding her head in agreement. And in that moment, like, we were done. We didn't have to do another thing. We were awarded the show. The show ran up for over two years, had Valerie Harper in it, wrote it from the Mary Tyler Moore show. I couldn't be, that was a career <coughs> highlight. And it was just a great To say the least. Was it during that run where you took your map of Mary's apartment and got Valerie Harper to sign it? Yeah, I did. I, did. I, um, I have an architectural rendering of Mary Richards' apartment at 119 <laughs> North Weatherly. And I took it to the radio record that we had for Valerie Harper. And she was very, she was lovely. Of course she signed it. And actually, I had Georgia Engel sign it when we did Drowsy Chaperone. Ed Asner signed it when we did Grace. And uh, Betty White and Gavin McLeod never did Broadway, unfortunately. Oh, no. So for our listeners, Jim Edwards really likes the Mary Tyler Moore yeah. show. <laughs> <Let's just laughs> for anyone who doesn't know. Probably. Doesn't really Probably. Yeah. Okay. Um, all right, next pick out of the spot coat hat is Young Frankenstein. Young Frankenstein, well, that was, a, you know, that was certainly a career highlight for me because I got to work with Mel Brooks. And I guess I have a couple of Mel Brooks stories, but one of the best is probably at the radio recording session where I shamelessly brought my son Charlie, who was maybe 12 at the time, because he was a, a, a mad Mel Brooks fan and Spaceballs was his favorite movie. And, um, so we were there first and Mel blew in and he, he didn't acknowledge anybody except for Charlie when he first got there. And he, was, and he said, who are you? And Charlie said, uh, I'm, I'm Tom Greenwald's son. And Mel Brooks just looked at him and said, are, have you been bar mitzvahed? That was his first question. <laughs> And Charlie said no, and Mel feigned anger at Charlie's lack of being bar misfit, but ended up making him just making his day and signing his Spaceballs DVD and taking a picture with him. So what I'm learning is you guys both fanboy out about some of your uh, oh my gosh. people that you get to work with. Absolutely. Um, it's part of the fun. To that end, taking a departure from the spot co-hat, what quick answers, what is your favorite musical and play of all time from a um, fan standpoint? Um, Not that... Well, give me my favorite musical from all time, Sweeney Todd. I have to I can kind of say that right out with, with no hesitation. What's your favorite Jamie musical? Allen? It's Chess. Chess? Chess. Yeah. Both the London recording and the American recording. And I saw it here in America for five, five times. Wow, that's interesting. Yeah, I loved it. Um, it's coming back, right? Yeah, in D.C. Yeah. Do you um, have tickets? No. Get I on will. that. I will. I will. Favorite play favorite of all play. time. That's a tough one. You go first while I think. Well, my mom and I really liked, we saw a lot of Alan Akeborn when I was growing up. So yeah. we was single in the Norman Conquest. I think he's my favorite playwright. Yeah. But my favorite play has to be Wit. Because I just remember the first time I saw it and I was mm-hmm. just so incredibly moved by it. Mm-hmm. I would, it's a tough one for me. It's funny you mentioned Alan Akeborn. Probably Angels in America, um, especially the first part. That's, I know that's a cliche. It's one of my most memorable theory-going experiences, but the Norman Conquest, seeing all three of those, mm-hmm. and just amazing theatrical drama, but just the way he constructed it, it's, it's almost like you can't imagine a brain working that way, that intricately, the puzzle he put together, and being able to see them in any order, and it still makes sense, that, that the whole thing is still shocking it's to me. It's all about construction within, like, did you see yeah. House Garden? Yeah. Which is yes. just amazing. Yeah, amazing. Um, let's. St- I cheated while you were talking, Jim. Wits in here. We worked on wit, yeah. correct? Any fun memories? Well, or thoughts yes. On so when an agency presents artwork, it's usually a very 
hard moment to get through because it's it's you never hit it out of the park the first time. And usually, you know, you put a lot of heart and soul into these designs and sometimes producers don't say nice things or they're very dismissive or it, it can be just a real letdown sometimes. But when we presented Wit, which was Stella Dugby, Bugby did the artwork. And um, I remember it was in Old Spot. We were in the, the National Screen Building. And it was MCC Theater and Long Wharf Theater and Daryl Roth. And we had a shelf, and we had we were presenting it as window cards, and it was just the title treatment, white against black, W semicolon T, and um, and then we were proposing the the, photo, the photograph image, and Drew presented it and turned the art around. Daryl was sitting right in front of it. She had her glasses on. She looked at it, paused, took her glasses off, and just said, "It's brilliant." And I, in my entire career, that has never happened. It was just a spine tingling moment because I knew that that design was spot on. Oh. Um, all right. How about going back to the hat? Thank you for sharing. Back to the hat in the Heights. That's well, it. in the Heights, um, that also was a was a location television commercial shoot, which is one of the first things I remember about it because it ran off Broadway at Thirty Eight Arts, I believe. Is that what it was called? 38 yeah. Arts? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Or 37 Arts. 37 Arts. 30-something Arts. <laughs> One of those streets. Um, kind of a prime number. That was the, the, sure. the, the theater that uh, Jeffrey and Kevin had on the far west side. And it was a big hit there. And um, But it wasn't, a, it, wasn't, it wasn't a monster hit. And I remember the reviews were good, but they weren't great. So it was a little bit of a risk moving it to Broadway. Um, everybody was in agreement that Lynn manuel Miranda was the next big thing, but... No one was quite sure if this um, Latin-flavored, hip-hop-flavored musical would succeed on Broadway. But uh, Jeffrey and Kevin, who were nothing if not risk-takers, they, and, Joe and Joe Furman, of course, um, they said, full speed ahead, and not only full speed ahead, we want to make a, a television commercial, and we want to make a, a real television commercial the way you would shoot a movie. So we ended up going up to Washington Heights and renting out a bodega and bringing the cast up there for this incredible day-long shoot where Lynn emerges emerges from a bodega and um, the whole cast ends up dancing in the street in uh, the stream created by an open fire hydrant and it was kind of a, a miraculous capturing of the essence and spirit of that show and really kicked off the, the campaign and they ended up building a, a pretty reasonable advance on their way to becoming a successful Tony Award-winning Best Musical. I feel like at our old office at Spotco, we used to have a, a commercial reel that played on yeah. your walk as you got out of the elevators and then also from our office to the bathroom. I was always on the In the Heights. <laughs> like yeah, I, yeah. For some reason, yeah. every time I timed, it was just a slow-mo fire hydrant and gorgeous <laughs> dancing. <Yeah. laughs> Whatever um, happened to... The guy, that guy though, Lin Manuel Miranda. I'm not sure, actually. He's I disappeared. Heard, I haven't heard from him in a bit. No. <laughs> um, how about August Osage County? Uh, so I saw the show, the play in, uh, in Chicago at Steppenwolf, and it was um, Jeffrey Richards was the lead producer with Jerry Frankel, and. Um, we were awarded the business. I forget if we had a pitch it or not. But the art development was really, really tough. And there were a lot of people involved. And 
trying to build a consensus was really, really tough. And I remember in frustration, Drew just took um, the, the Mona Lisa <laughs> I remember this. and put the title <laughs> treatment on it and sent it over. Yeah. And Jeffrey saw it and said, yeah, let's run this. <laughs> Drew in a panic call, no, you can't. We'll be we don't have the rights. And then Jeffrey kept saying, no, I think it's a good idea. Let's run the Mona Lisa. And so then... <laughs> So we had to talk them off the ledge on that one. Yeah. And then it was finally we used, um, and I can't remember, what's it's that famous painting. American Gothic. American Gothic mm-hmm. was the inspiration. Yeah. And we created, it had a photo shoot from there. And, you know, that and that was, you know, we were going in the Imperial, which was a musical house. It was over three hours, three acts. Would anyone come? Mm-hmm. And the play ran for over two years. Won the Pulitzer, won the Tony Award. It was a great, great, it was a great show to work on. Here's a, here's a fun fact. I think Jim Edwards can probably tell you every theater yeah, yeah. <laughs> that every show of ours ever ran in, and I cannot tell you what theaters our current shows are running in. <laughs> I remember so we that is the difference between us. We were talking to the producers of uh, Jerry Springer, the opera, and uh, they had mentioned that this was... Uh, hubris on their part, but they thought that the Majestic might become available and that they would take that. And, and I remember Drew, what's the Majestic? And I could just read his face, and I said, Phantom's closing? <laughs> to, like, save the moment. Yeah. And, you know, clearly Phantom just celebrated its 30th birthday, and Jerry uh, Springer, the opera, never came to Broadway. But it's coming to Off-Broadway. It is. Yeah, it is. Like, right about All now. right, this is a fun test. Speed test for you guys. Name the theater that the show was in. Ready? Okay. And try and try and beat each other to it. I'm Tom, just say what comes to your mind. Huh? I will. All right. I did know that Phantom was at the Majestic. Okay. <laughs> I, I, I that one's off the table yeah. then. All right. La Cage au Faux. Re- uh, most recent revival. No idea. Oh, The Long Acre. Okay. Original? Anyone? The Palace. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Two for Jim. Chiquita, uh, Cheetah Rivera, Dancer's Life. No idea. It was either, oh, it's on 45th Street, it's either the Jacobs or the... Um, uh, Schoenfeld. I always get those two confused. Eh, fail. Annie, get your gun. The marquee. No idea. <laughs> Something rotten. Wait, don't tell me. No idea. The Imperial. Thank you. No, St. James. No. Something rotten. No, I'm not thinking of Dirty Rotten Scandal. Oh. You're right. No. Uh, one for me. St. James. One for me. I wasn't here. I was in Idaho then. Okay. Scottsboro Boys. No oh, idea. Yeah. Oh, my God. <laughs> Bat Boy? Ah! Variety Arts? No, Union Square. That's what I meant. <laughs> Jane Eyre. Brooks Act. Come on, is that really true? Yes. God, you are a savant. This is I, crazy. Putting it back in here, Dirty Rotten Scoundrels. Well, the Imperial. Okay, just testing you. Okay. And last five years. Um, oh, wait, don't tell me. Because there's only like three off-Broadway theaters. For God's sake. <laughs> Union Square Theater? No, Madeline. <laughs> <laughs> Chicago, both theaters, go. Uh, Richard Rogers. Oh. No, it started at the Schubert, then Richard Rogers, oh, okay. then the Ambassador. Okay. Three theaters. All right, Jim right. won. I lost count. Yeah. Um, I, to, I want to show this story. This is stupid, but I'll share it anyway. So, uh, Chicago, we had meetings over at, at the producer's office every month for years. And uh, after 9 11, certain buildings, security got a little tighter. And the producers for Namco or the Chicago were in the equity building. Yeah. So when you entered the building, there was a little camera, there was a receptionist <laughs> and a little camera on the desk. And you all you had to do was say your name into the camera and then they would let you go by. So there is probably 
13 years of me calling myself Best Truman <laughs> in different seasonal garb somewhere <laughs> loaded in, in, in store. And in, we all, in we all <clears throat> took a cue from your page, and then it be, just became a giant game. Just, oh, just say the most be. ridiculous name <laughs> you can never, think of. They never questioned Best Truman. Ron, Ron Jeremy. Okay, go on in. <laughs> You Did know? you get name tags that said this? Or no, just, no, no all you just say is And the guy never looked at us. Never. It was the most <laughs> ridiculous thing. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's um, true. All right, we've got about time for one more, and there's only a few left in the hat. So let's go with West Side Story. West Side Story, um, that was um, an intro. That was a great challenge for us because um, I remember expecting it to be a giant hit um, and people would just kind of we would say West Side Story and the floodgates would open it didn't, and, it didn't, and to clarify we're talking about the revival the revival the revival <laughs> where you know, the at the palace speaking of Lin-Manuel Miranda he, he, he wrote the, the Spanish lyrics mm-hmm. and there was this quote unquote new conceit um, and Arthur Lawrence was directing it and it turned out that no one wanted a new conceit for West Side Story like no one no one really wanted to hear those songs in Spanish no one wanted to know that it had been updated in any way they just wanted West Side Story Don't West Side Story it, yeah. so when it when it first began it did it was doing fine but it wasn't doing incredibly well so once again with the producers Jeffrey and and Kevin was there anybody else on that show besides those guys I can't quite remember yeah, yeah, but they were the two leads. And they said, let's make a big, expensive commercial. And, you know, you don't even really see these kinds of commercials all that much anymore today. But at the time, and Nick Scandelius was very involved, too, and he, he, he backed the idea of this commercial, where, again, we went out to the street, and Jeffrey Seller had been nursing this idea for a commercial since he did a tour of it in his 20s, I think. And he, he described it to us, and he said... They're running down the street. They're, they're, it's like the movie where they're being, um, the, the, one of the jets is being chased by one of the sharks, and they turn a corner, and they climb a fence, and they're chasing each other, <laughs> and they leap over the fence and onto the stage of the Broadway theater. And that seemed like just a, a great, simple, um, brilliant idea. So we went out and shot that commercial um, over two days, we shot it both in the theater, of course, because Which it, most, it, sure, most commercials are shot in one day. Yeah, so this one day. Was twice the expense. Twice the expense, a location Time shoot, and, and but one, as soon as we put that commercial on the air, the, the fortunes for that show really began to change, and it, it became a much hotter ticket. And the commercial also ran on the road for its long extended tour. So uh, the show wasn't a slam dunk at the, at the beginning, but. Um, the, the commercial really made a difference, and it was it was Jeffrey Seller's idea, that commercial that we executed with director named Warren Fisher, who did a great job. So we're about at time. I'm going to end with a kind of not-out-of-the-hat question, which is if you could open the time capsule and be in the seat of one production on Broadway of the past, what would it be? Can I answer mine unorthodoxly? Sure. Is that, if that's a word. It would be at the Times Square shoot of New York, New York mm. on 9-16 or 9-17, four or five days after 9-11 when everybody was reeling and um, the Broadway community got together kind of literally in their entirety and we were lucky enough and privileged enough to put that shoot together on behalf of the league and Jan Swenson and it was just... That was, 
you know, of all the single days that I can most remember in my years in the theater business, that was probably the one singular most um, powerful memory. So I'd love to kind of time capsule back to that feeling and the the spirit we had and the idea that we were turning the corner and getting back on track. Yeah, I remember that day, and that was a really cool day. And it was a, I was there, too. That was cool. I guess my most exciting theater-going experience was seeing Chicago at City Center Encores. It was the first time that that series presented a musical without a... The, the, the cast wasn't really holding a book. They were off book. And... Um, I, I did not see the original production, and the review, I was a subscriber, and my tickets were for Friday night, so the review was already out, and every single number was like an 11 o'clock number. The audience was on fire. They were on fire, and it was, I never had a more electric experience in the theater. The show has done really well, but it was <laughs> never like that night at City Center as part of the Encore series. It's funny you say that because I remember the dress rehearsal for the Broadway production once it transferred. It was the day before the first performance. And at again, the at the Schubert. Schubert. Which theater. <laughs> people, people filed in hearing had it been great at Encores but not really knowing quite what to expect and it was a similar thing. It was just, it was just a giant holy shit. Like, this is the greatest show that's ever existed. Okay. I remember that moment. And it's weird that, you know, because when it ran, first ran on Broadway... You know, it was up against, it was the same year as a chorus line, yeah. and it didn't pay back, and they had all these problems with it, and yeah. now it's, you know, the revival is the second, or the longest-running American musical industry. Ever, yeah. yeah. Well, Tom and Jim, thank you so much. Thank you to this lovely you, mustard, mustard color hat. Uh, thanks for listening, and until next time. Thank you, everyone. Thanks. If you're interested in watching some of the TV spots described in today's episode, check out our YouTube page at youtube.com slash spotnyc. Thanks for listening. Until next time. Ah!